Hello, I am Grayson Brulty, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. On today's episode, guest host Dr. Sven Biker, external advisor, SAE International, and I sat down with Sven Talbot of Lutonza Technic to recap and discuss the SAE Roundtable series on the impacts of COVID-19, explore future trends in aviation, and answer the question, will air travel ever be the same? The entire collection is available at sae.org forward slash roundtable dash series. And away we go. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Hello. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Biker, we're going to start with, with you, sir. You were involved in the SAE Roundtable series, which was a series of conversations about how COVID-19 is impacting industry. Will you please kindly share a high-level overview of the series? Sure, happy to. Well, let's see. I mean, as the name Round Series um, discussion suggests, it's, it's, it's not an interview. It's actually more a conversation. And as you pointed out in light of COVID-19, uh, the question got asked uh, early in the year, what's actually happened out there and what does that mean to our constituency? Engineers, practitioners in the technology mobility field. And we said, well, let's talk to them and uh, have, a, have a conversation. And so in the end, it's part really of uh, different things that SAE does, including this very show here, the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. And also we had an uh, SAE at home video series and then this um, roundtable series where we really want to open up the curtain a little bit more who SAE is and who's um, involved in SAE and what's happening in particular in this situation as COVID-19 obviously shakes the world upside down. And following up on that, why was the roundtable series created? Yeah. So that, that was really a conversation that we had within SAE, let's say around March, April of, of this year, 2020. And we were reading all these reports and forecasts how COVID-19 is going to really turn the world upside down. And those were a lot of statistics. And we said, let's talk to the constituency in our field. Let's talk to uh, engineers, our members, um, uh, business managers and really get um, a first-hand perspective and then put all of this together to ultimately inform SAE how we can do an even better job working with and for our members. Sven Talbert, you're actively in the field, you're engaged in industry. Why did you want to participate in the conversation? Um, yeah, I'm participating SAE, I think now since five years, um, more or less since I started with, with Lufthansa. Um, I think it's very important for us as, as a market leader to actually shape the market. And from my point of view, standards is one of the easiest, um, but also most important um, parts of the industry where you can actually make a difference um, with your participation. And this is why um, Lufthansa is engaged in, in participating and giving us as employees um, the room and of course also the budget um, to do so. Thank you so much for, for getting engaged with the community and offering your incredible insight. For our listeners who might not be familiar with Lutonza Technic, will you please kindly share a high-level overview of the company? Because a lot of our listeners might say, well, it's the airline, but there's actually a lot more going on there on the Technic side. Yes, exactly. 
Um, so we are part of the Lufthansa group. Um, most of, of uh, probably the listeners know us as, as an airline or as airlines. Uh, we have uh, Lufthansa, Swiss, Austrian, uh, Brussels, Eurowings, all these airlines are part of Lufthansa group. And there is um, also a part of Lufthansa group which is more focused on services. And we as Lufthansa Technique are the biggest service provider from, from the Lufthansa group. And we are maintaining um, parts of the Lufthansa group, but uh, we are also maintaining other um, uh, customers. So um, I think in total we have currently 800 customers all over the world, um, having over 5,000 aircrafts under exclusive contract. Um, so this is why we call ourselves the world leading MRO. So the biggest MRO concerning contracted aircraft. It's, it's really impressive. I mean, you have 800 customers, you're, you're operating globally, you've seen a lot, you've learned a lot. How has Otanta Technic learned from history to prepare for the pandemic the world's currently going through? Because you've been around and experienced so many different ups and downs throughout society and history. Yeah, I think um, when, when COVID hit us, um, I, I exactly know the date because um, that was one date before I wanted to fly over to the US uh, to participate in a conference. And we had to skip that very last minute, more or less. Um, of course, everybody was really focused on, okay, how can we now handle the crisis compared to economic crisis or other crisis? So the, the first instinct you have as, as somebody who is doing forecasting is you're going back in the past and, and try to find um, parallels. Um, the biggest issue with COVID is the last parallel event was 1918 um, with the Spanish flu. Um, and the issue is that most of the airlines didn't exist at all. Or even if they exist, like KLM, for example, um, the fleet size was rather different and also the, the infrastructure. Um, so we had really to learn um, on, on the hard way, more or less, that, that this crisis is, is very unique and that every model you have is more or less useless overnight. Um, the good news is the models were, were maybe useless, but the people who actually did the models were not useless. So, so I think we managed within six to eight weeks to to came up with first other models and i just looked back two weeks ago with my team and say okay what was our first prediction compared to our current prediction of the situation and uh, we were really surprised that that we are plus minus four percent um, on 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 the fleet size for example so um I think that was pretty impressive. Actually, it was much better than I thought. If if you would have asked me, I would say plus minus 15% would be a good range. Um, but yeah, you see that the industry, um, the basic industry functions are still in place. Um, but the crisis as a worldwide crisis is a phenomenon we had never experienced before. Even economic crises are um, not globally impacting um, everybody at the same time. Well, that's a really valid point. Growing up, did, did you study history and then through, through studying history, you became interested in aerospace or how did that, that journey work to where you got today? 
I had to decide after school uh, in, in the US, it would be high school. Uh, I had to decide what to study. So I had two interests, art and uh, aerospace engineering. Um, and we have, or we had in Germany, a military service. Um, so you had to go rather to military or to uh, civil service. So I had one year time to, to think about that. Uh, and I actually made the decision for aerospace engineering. So I'm, I'm uh, as my boss say, uh, a classical aerospace engineer. Um, I wouldn't actually agree with that um, as I started really early in my career, not really focusing on, on technical stuff, uh, more focusing on, on people and on networks. Um, so I would say my, my, one of my biggest superpowers is, is my network of, of people. And, uh, so I did the project management, uh, career in the beginning and then switched to management career. Um, and due to my network, actually, um, I more or less came into that, um, foresight and market intelligence, um, area of the company. And I'm sure during your network, you've learned a lot and it's a really great segue because I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Biker. Uh, to expand upon the conversation now, because he was able to to learn from your network and your insights. So, uh, Dr. Biker, sir. Yeah, ab absolutely, and uh, really, Sven, it's it's always fascinating to to listen to you, and obviously brings back the memories from the roundtable discussion we had, I think, back in August or something like that. And um, a, a follow up question, almost to to this discussion back from August. How would you say one can now better prepare for these events that some call black swan or gray swan event? Because we are living through this, uh, how can one prepare better if something like this hits again? Is it possible at all? I think it's uh, you have to, to look at from from several perspectives to, um, to, to give an answer for that. Um, Lufthansa Group as an airline are prepared for pandemics. So we had actually a plan uh, for a pandemic as, as well as Germany had a, had a plan for what is happening at a pandemic. Uh, what we really saw in Europe is that we had these plans in place, but we never used them. So we did, um, I would say at least some mistakes. I mean, Germany, went quite well um, through the um, pandemic. But if I compare that now to other countries like China, Taiwan, um, Korea, Japan, who were more impacted in, in the kind of Asian pandemic, I would say with the um, flu um, some years ago, I think eight, nine years ago, the, I think it's called bird flu. Um, mm -hmm. So they had already a smaller but similar event. And, and so they were reacting much faster and, and probably in a more appropriate way. I, I knew exactly in the beginning when the crisis started, um, I couldn't imagine that, that everybody in Germany would wear a mask. Now um, um, everybody is, is wearing these. Um, so a lot of stuff changed and I'm, I'm pretty sure if this would hit again, um, people are, are now trained for that. And, and that's quite important. From a business point of view, that's a totally different thing. Um, we call these disruptive events. And um, one, of the, um, one of the parts of a disruptive event is more or less that you can't really prepare for that. 
Um, it's so disruptive and, and the measures you would have to take are far outperforming actually the benefit you would have um, as the risk is super low that this event is occurring. But of course, on the other side, the impact is, is, is pretty high. So actually, um, in the beginning of the year, I had a presentation concerning how uh, long range fleets are developing. And one of the disclaimers I always say in the beginning of the preparation is that all the scenarios we analyze is without disruptive events and disruptive events means pandemics, an asteroid hit the earth kind of stuff like this. So, so you have it in your disclaimer and you easily say it. But of course, you think this will never happen, not in my lifetime, at least. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm still convinced that these disruptive events are events you might can prepare for it. But from a business perspective, it doesn't make any sense because otherwise you wouldn't um, you wouldn't invest in anything more or less concerning aerospace anymore, because if you say, OK, there's that risk that a second pandemic is hitting every business case would be blown. Um, so I think these kinds of events, um, we have to tackle with them if they appear. Hopefully we are at least safe for another hundred years. And, and I think we made also big progress on the, on the other front, on the vaccine front, for example, um, that we might handle it even better next time, probably after my lifetime, crossing fingers. <laughs> Fingers, fingers crossed. Yes, for sure. And yes. uh, so you, you just said if you were to really think and consider and assume all these things can happen, you wouldn't do this business anymore. And by all means, please keep up the business because I, I like to travel on airplanes, uh, obviously, including uh, Lufthansa being from Germany originally myself. And actually, I miss traveling to Germany this year and especially this holiday season. So my question for you also is, Will air travel ever be the same again as it was, let's say, in January of 2020? I'm very convinced of that. And of course, there's a lot of discussion about that. Uh, many people assume that people are less traveling. Also in the company, we have huge discussions um, how the future look like. And I think it's fair to have this discussion. Everybody has a has a different perspective on that. And of course, um, it's just your opinion because um, we all don't know. But uh, what makes me really confident, and I just uh, told that my team yesterday, is to look at countries now in Asia, how they recovered and how quick they recovered. So looking at companies like Japan, which is very similar to Germany, even if it is from a culture point of view, sometimes the total opposite, but the general mindset of the people is is quite similar in many ways and the size of the uh, country is a little bit similar the size of the economy is is similar so there's a lot of parallel stuff and i lived in japan so i can a little bit have some insights uh, of of that country as well so i can compare it and japan has still no vaccine in place, but they have very little numbers as they are very disciplined with all the mask wearing and all that stuff. Um, and they recovered um, over the summer to 90% of the domestic travel again. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Germany would recover to at least 70, 75% if we do, wouldn't have the second wave now. So the biggest issue currently in Europe is, is that second wave. A, a little bit similar to the US, but um, Europe is uh, more strict with the travel restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty sure we will come back to a to a kind of normal. I, I think some things are changing. Maybe also some of the business trips will be skipped due to Skype meetings. Um, but I had um, in the summer I had a conference event. It, it was hybrid, um, meaning the speakers were present in Berlin, and the audience were not present, so they were online. And and everybody, it was a cross-industry thing, so you had really more or less the, the whole German industry or even European industry located at that place. And everybody was like saying, okay, it's like coming out again, breathing fresh air. So everybody really enjoyed that social thing, even with all the mask wearing and, and all the hygiene stuff you have to prepare. But it was so good to have people not on your screen you have real people around you and and i think what is really important especially for networks is that you have that trust relationship and that trust relationship is pretty hard to gain via a a, a screen right so a real deep trusting relationship comes with real people and and i'm pretty convinced that also our business um, the maintenance business we are selling trust more or less if an airline doesn't trust us with repairing their aircraft they will not do business with us and and this is not unique to aerospace this is more or less every business is is based on trust and trust comes with personal experience and and so i i don't see it that um skype and teams and all the systems which are now in place or were in place before are taking over travel people want to have the real thing Um, i'm not just looking at pictures how it looks in hawaii i want to go to hawaii right it's a totally different thing so um, i'm pretty convinced we're coming back and uh, we're coming back stronger as well because people are really desperate to travel I, I see it around me. I, I mean, um, my normal um, surrounding is maybe not the normal surrounding. As as of course, if you are if you work in that area, you you are more into travel maybe than the the normal person. Um, but I also see it all around Germany. Everybody is like, ah, oh, I can't wait to to travel again, right? So, well, ab- absolutely yes, and and that applies to me as well. And uh, one one other topic that we didn't really touch on in the roundtable series, and it, it's not directly at least related to COVID, but happening in the industry. And um, a topic that I'm very, very excited about is these mega airliners and, and four engine aircraft. You showed me a picture of an Airbus A380. I actually was on that a few times. Uh, but that was announced way before COVID. I think it was 2019 that it was announced that the Airbus A380 will not have a long future. And also Boeing, uh, I think, announced uh, now during 2020 uh, that the Boeing 747 will be discontinued um, in the near future. Any professional, personal thoughts, sentiments even on these amazing aircraft not having a future? Yeah. 
Yeah, you can see uh, an ASV80 behind me now on the screen. Um, that's actually the uh, last aircraft uh, flying, or yeah, at least some of them are currently flying, um, which has a part which I designed uh, on it. So this is my uh, my last uh, my last little piece of being a real aerospace engineer, like uh, many people say. Um, so A380 was my my first aircraft I actually designed parts for. And then then you have a connection to that piece of technology, of course. Um, from a Boeing perspective, I always was a big fan of the 747. So if I'm able to fly the to the US and I have the choice uh, of, uh, for example, to New York, we flying to two airports to New York. Uh, so you can even choose your aircraft within Lufthansa. So if there's a free seat in the A380 uh, um, 747 upper deck, there's no other aircraft I would choose. So I'm really in love with that aircraft. Um, so I will really, really miss this. Um, luckily, uh, Air, um, Lufthansa have brand new 747-8. They will continue to fly even after the crisis. So I still have some years with these aircrafts ahead of me. Um, but yeah, the trend to discontinue aircrafts with four engines um, was clear before COVID. Um, I, I already said uh, we had that study um, for long-range aircrafts and of course the four-engine aircrafts were part of that study. So we were pretty sure that these uh, aircrafts don't have a, a huge future. What COVID now did is to accelerate that development, right? So many of the developments we currently seeing with COVID are just um, an acceleration of an already existing trend. So um, I think the the only new thing was that that travel restriction thing, which actually occurred due to the crisis. But uh, many other developments in the economy, like digitalization and all that stuff, got a huge boost. But we all knew before that these kind of stuff is coming, right? Um, and this is the same with these kind of aircraft. So I'm I'm pretty sure we will see um, other big aircrafts like the 350, um, the 777. But uh, yeah, I will miss the stairs. It's a, it's a special feeling. Same here. No, of course there are other amazing aircraft out there. You mentioned the Airbus A350 and the Boeing. 787 obviously is a very efficient and, and super high-tech product. Brings me back to, to one more question actually that I wanted to ask you, Sven. And uh, as SAE obviously looks at uh, aircraft, and that's what you do, and there are also a lot of ground vehicles. That uh, was even a little bit before SAE looked at aircraft that we looked at automobiles and such. And that's where I work a lot. And these days we discuss a lot uh, in ground vehicles, driverless trucks and cars. So self-driving. Uh, what's the trend in aviation? Uh, pilotless aircraft, is that a topic? It is. Um, it is since years. So you have to be fair on that. Um, in, in aerospace, um, I think we had these autopilots far before um, that was a topic in in the automotive industry. 
And um, we have some advantages in the air. Um, it's a controlled airspace, but we have also some disadvantages. So connectivity is not given um, over the sea or it's at least not sufficient enough over, over the big seas. Um, and um, currently our biggest um, issue is um, that we can't really use artificial intelligence. So there's a rule in aerospace that you have to know what code is doing. Um, otherwise, you can't certify it. Um, all these machine learning algorithms um, are currently not, we are not able to certify that for, um, for parts of the aircraft which are essential um, for the um, safety. Um, and most of the current systems in cars for autonomous driving are based on machine learning um, algorithms. Um, so all these kind of stuff we can't use. So we currently have a look in from a technical point of view. So what kind of stuff can we actually hard code um, versus um, the risk we are taking with that? And I think Airbus demonstrated, I think it was end of last year, um, an A350 flight um, completely autonomous gate to gate. Um, and I think the first step we will do in aerospace, at least Airbus is, is pushing for that is a one pilot operation so i'm i'm pretty sure we will see like more and more assist systems like they call it um uh, which assisting first both pilots and and i'm pretty sure the the future will be then maybe one pilot having more and more experience and maybe finally um no pilot i mean you can imagine in an airline uh, where one of the biggest groups of employees are pilots there's huge discussions um, about what is able with a machine versus uh, versus a real pilot. Um, I would have the same argument if you say, okay, uh, a machine learning algorithm is, is able to uh, do my job. Um, of course, you have your own advantages, but, but you have to, to see that these systems can actually help and, and finally be maybe even more safe than the, the human pilot. So, um, yeah, we, we're looking close to that. Um, of course, we have that uh, controversial discussion, which is definitely necessary, but uh, we, we, we are also in contact with, with Airbus, Boeing and um, all the manufacturers to look at that. Yeah, and, and these discussions are certainly very, very similar on ground vehicles, as uh, you and I also discussed already at some point, because there's certainly concerns in self-driving automobiles as they are in pilotless planes and all of that. So we could go on and on forever with this and we should definitely compare notes. But I, I also wanted to turn it back to Grayson and uh, because I think you also want to discuss a few more other topics, Grayson, right? I do, Sven, building on the wonderful conversation you had with Dr. Biker, I, I'd love to get your overall opinion. What does the future of commercial aviation look like and what role will the tons of Technic play in that future? What is, what is um, the next big step we all expecting, especially my uh, CEO, um, Carsten Spohr, is expecting that we will have uh, another wave of consolidation in front of us. Um, the raw model for that is, is probably the US, as you had a huge consolidation five, six years ago with now the big major players and then the... Um, I'm not sure if second row would be the, the correct term, but, but you have these um, little smaller airlines which are more based on low cost, um, like Southwest, these kind of airlines, Spirit. 
so you have these two kinds of airlines but all of them are pretty pretty large in in europe uh, we have still we are still more focused on these former country based airlines right so lufthansa group is still very based in germany of course we have now swiss and austrian all countries where you speak at least german but but um brussels is is a little bit more in the direction but it's all close around right and then you have the other fraction like like um british airways with the group of them and and of course air france so these are the big three players and i guess for europe that's a little bit too much um especially with all these smaller players as well so so we expect consolidation um in europe and maybe the slowest might be asia because they are still more divided in these very autonomous countries where you have that uh, more bounding countries now in europe so i guess we will see a wave there on consolidation in the airframer market we had already that uh, consolidation so um, the bombardier part now went to airbus now we have to see what, what is happening with embraer as boeing um, skipped that um, but they're they're more or less just two players in the market um, we saw already a lot of consolidation in the oem market um, also huge players now around and we are waiting also in the MOO industry for, for more consolidation. Uh, and uh, somehow it, it never happened, really. So all the big players currently in the world had organic growth. And um, we're still wondering why that is, um, actually, because the logic of the market should be a different one. Um, but yeah, we, we, we think it will happen, but... Um, if I would have to bet money, I would go 50% on, on, uh, on consolidation and 50% actually on further um, organic growth. I'm happy you brought up consolidation because there's rumors flying around here in America about Wall Street about one of the big three merging with a low-cost carrier, and the rumor just keeps seeming every day to pop up. So when, when, when airline companies merge, what happens to the maintenance of this one company flies Airbuses and this one company flies um, Boeings. And from your perspective, how do you get all those fleets together uh, where they're ready for commercial service when they go through that merger? Depending a little bit how your MRO contractor was set up, right? So we're doing everything more or less. We are specialized and this is, I think, one of our um, benefits concerning other companies. We are doing tail to nose to tail um, for more or less every um, aircraft you you have in a commercial fleet um, of course in in a merger event it can be that both of the parts keeping their mo contract it could be that they um, decide for um, for one of the uh, options or they choose a complete new one right so there's no mechanism in place that you say okay it's always um, this or that way um, of course, we see some tendencies that bigger airlines like to to contract bigger MROs or OEMs. Um, that's a kind of a trend, but it's not a must be. It's more a regional thing, to be honest. We see clear market um, uh, tendencies in the US. We see some in, in Europe and, and in Asia. So all these three markets um, are different. 
Um, but within the market, you can see a lot of parallel decision making. Does predictive maintenance play any role in that where you're getting this, this data to help make that transition seamless for your clients? Yes, I think um, we started as one of the first companies to take that part really serious. So um, we are separated in, in um, product divisions, we call them, and we decided um, four years ago, I think, that we have our own product division for digital products. So we call that Aviatar. Uh, which is, from my point of view, the biggest um, platform now for um, condition monitoring, which is, from my point of view, the baseline. And then you can doing condition-based maintenance. And, of course, the, the next step, what we already do already, is also predictive maintenance. So you have to understand the current status of the aircraft. This is the baseline, which is already a technology challenge and also a mindset challenge. Um, and then you can predict the future and actually making a business um, difference. And I think the crisis now, as for many companies, driving that trend into um, having a more open for these kind of, of stuff as you um, have um, um, advantages more or less on the business case side. Um, so I think these kind of products um, will get a huge boost um, in the transition between the crisis and the uh, new normal. It, it's been a really healthy conversation about your understanding of history, the company's ability to predict the future, to put your clients in a really great ability to grow, to help go through consolidation. So I, I tip my hat to you for that. And as we look to wrap up this wonderful conversation, I'd like for you to... Uh, share with what you like our listeners to take away from, and then I'll turn it over uh, to Dr. Biker for uh, closing. Um, so, uh, Sven Talbot, please. The most beautiful things in, in, in aerospace is really um, the passion. And I think that's important for people to understand, also seeing us currently in that, in that huge crisis. So um, in the beginning of the crisis, in, in all these um, professional um, social media platforms, you saw instantly the hashtag, we are in this together. And uh, a lot of my friends um, asked me about what is that about? And I said, yeah, that's that's kind of the industry. We are a very, very competitive industry, but we are also one family. So um, this is, I think, from my point of view, that's a really unique thing in aerospace. So we are selling um, an emotional event right so we are not just selling the flight itself people are not flying because of flying most of the people fly to go to holidays or they're flying to see their family so it's always emotional for people so it's kind of emotional for us as well so this is really a very unique thing in our industry that there's so much passion around and even if there's the biggest competitor of our company or uh, whatever if if we meet up most of the time in airports of course um, and we see an a380 for example starting and even if it is a guy from boeing um, and we have maybe a beer in our hand you see that glow in the eyes um, of people seeing these machines are flying and it's so incredible so i i, I think this is the most beautiful thing about our industry that everybody is really really passionate about that and sharing that passion 
and after that par uh, passion, the competition is starting. But but um, this is really something which um, which is unifying thing. And everywhere in the world, it doesn't matter. I, I come to the counter, and as we flying standby, I say, "Oh, I'm from Lufthansa. Do you have a seat for me?" And you see instantly that smile. Oh, you're coming from Lufthansa, so you instantly have that connection with people and. This is, I think, why many people, even in that huge crisis, are now staying with the companies and and trying to get over it and, and try to bring up these uh, beautiful companies and that beautiful industry again uh, to, the, to the shine we had before the crisis. And as I said, I'm pretty sure we will have it afterwards again. Indeed, the aerospace industry is a beautiful industry. And, and Dr. Biker, sir? Yeah, sure. No, I, I really want to thank Sven, first of all, for a very encouraging, uh, fascinating and inspiring discussion. I mean, really encouraging, I think, for, for all of us that um, things are moving forward. And as much as things might look like shaken upside down, there are also very smart people and great organizations working on getting us through this. Because as you point out, we are all in this together. And really fascinating for these insights behind the curtain of what makes this industry run or fly in that sense, like what an MRO actually does and the, the passion that you, that you bring to it. And inspiring, I, I hope really for, uh, especially maybe the younger listeners within the SAE uh, constituency who might wonder what might a future for an engineer or for a technology interested person look like and many might think oh that's all about software and all of it but I mean couldn't be more inspiring I find as like making these amazing machines uh, cross through the skies and bring us to destinations and before I get too philosophical let me get it down to earth again um, so there was certainly a great discussion with you we could already tell when we did the SAE roundtable uh, discussion uh, that it's very inspiring and we also have more uh, other topics we have ground vehicles uh, tractors and trucks and passenger cars and startups and the roundtable series so I really encourage our listeners to check that out as well but for now really thanks to Sven great discussion and thanks to Grayson for hosting us uh, really enjoyed being here thank you yeah thank you from my side as well hey, you're welcome and, and, and Sven and Sven thank you so much again and as we've heard on today's special edition of the SAE uh, tomorrow today podcast the future once again will be flying so gentlemen thank you again so much thank you happy landings thank you for listening to SAE tomorrow today if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more please rate review and let us know what topics you'd like to explore next be sure to tune in next week to hear my conversation with Tony Janko as he shares his experiences as an FAA aviation safety inspector and highlights from his impactful career be sure to follow SAE on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. 